Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to another episode of Claret and Blue. I'm James Rushton, today joined by John Tanley and Pat Rowe, PGR Analytics, uh, both working for Birmingham Life, providing Aston Villa coverage, and they joined me today to talk about the Newcastle match. It was uh, brilliant to be back in the hot end, singing, shouting, squaring, and uh, screaming even more at the uh, refereeing decisions and antics going on the pitch, and of course, that fantastic goal by uh, Danny Ings. Uh, we, we've had so much to talk about today. We talked the set pieces, we talked about a number of players in depth, and we threw it forward to Barrow at the end. Of course, we had to talk about the midfield as well, and any signings kind of going on there, but we had to talk about pretty much everything. So it's uh, over an hour bumper episode of a post-Newcastle review. I really hope you enjoy the uh, podcast and the episode as much as I enjoyed having a discussion and debate. So yeah, once again, thank you for listening and I uh, hope you enjoy it. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. So John, first game back at uh, Villa Park, I think for all of us, us three, uh, our first big return with fans there. How, how did it go for you? Um, did, was it a delight? Was it uh, what you expected? Yeah. I, you know, I, I said to my dad, it was probably like, the, it felt like the first time you were going there again almost, like walking up the stairs to the ground and everything. Obviously, the three points made it a whole lot better, but I think just in general, being back there was just, you know, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, of course, and Pat, um, did you manage to get a bolty pie in the end? Well, it's a bit of controversy surrounding that, to be honest. I was in a rush to get to my seat, ordered the pie, sat down, thought it was a balti pie, and actually got a steak and kidney pie. So it was a bad start. But did you take a munch before you found out, or did you see yeah, the yeah, steak no, dribbling out? No, 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 I had a bite expecting you know the flavours of a balti pie, and it, gravy hit my mouth. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what can you do, man? What can you do? But um, I'm hoping the atmosphere was more up to your standards than than the pie selection, mate. What, what, what do you make of the atmosphere? First game back. I've probably needed a rehearsal on a few tunes. I don't think we're hitting top form, but what did you think, mate? I thought it was electric when they first came out, yeah, but uh, yeah. I do need some rehearsal. The new Buendia chant, not many people knew that. And uh, then it went a bit flat in the first half, as you expect, because we weren't really like didn't have the attacking play that like fans probably wanted to see, but after the Ings goal went in and the second half performance, then yeah, and VAR, obviously, everyone was going to be behind that. So yeah, it was good. Loved it. Yeah, what did you make of the atmosphere, John? Um, I, so I, I'm, it's a bit of both because I think that my bar was set really high by the Everton match um, last year where mm. our guys, I think there was a bit of edge and there wasn't the expectation. You know, maybe there wasn't this match, yeah. but I think against Everton, they played a better game against us and probably deserved the win. And we mm. took the game to him. Obviously, we got the three points. When Algarzi broke through, the sound of the whole, do you know when everyone's standing up and everyone's, come on, like shouting, that volume, not even a chance, is ripping your eardrums. So the okay. bar's really high. First game back when they came out, amazing electric. I think it didn't carry on that way for the whole game, but probably a bit of rustiness, John. Yeah, no, I, th- I agree. I, th- I think it's one of those ones where we're all just back in the ground. We're just happy to be there sort of thing. That sounds really plastic, to be honest. But... I just think being there was enough almost just for like the first 20 minutes. And to be fair, I think Newcastle um, sort of grew into the game inside the first 10 minutes. I think Wilson obviously had his chance and bits and bobs like that. And we didn't really have too much of the ball and too much of you know, you know like the chances inside the first 30 minutes or so. So I think we're kind of just getting into it really. Um, but as soon as we scored, obviously that's, you know, end of the first half. 
um, it all went off again. You know, so the whole sort of um, came into its own again. It was really good to say. I think the second half was much better too. But um, you know, no doubt. You know, now we've got three points on the board. Brentford at home next week. Um, it'll be a lot better. Pat, what did you make of the flat start then? Because, I mean, for me, it was just it just seemed a little bit not Watfordish like our performance against those lot at the start of the season, but. There, there wasn't, you know, it was very clear there was a hole in the side and we're not going to mention any names here, but it was just like, what do we do now? This is the new Villa, what do we do? What are we about? And I think Callum Wilson gave Tyron Mings, I think he gave him that little push and yeah. he's through on goal and he, you know, he's really unfortunate actually there to, uh, to miss. But I think that really did, it didn't re- like set the tone, but it was almost yeah. like, that's the warning shot, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's what we're up against. So what did you make of that start? Well, obviously, the entire game we didn't have like the attacking play that probably like fans wanted to see. But what we did differently from you can't you can't build on Watford. You can't get much worse than that game. But we won our battles like the individual battles type thing. I think we had like a fifty-seven percent success rate in duels in the first half, which is something you didn't see against Watford. And I think you can probably put that down to learning from that, but also the change in system. I think so. The four-three-three with Ramsey there, Douglas Louise, and McGinn. I think we're just a lot more balanced. You're not really seeing the attacking output yet, but there's a lot to build on from the game and uh, positives to take, yeah. Do you think there was any reaction from from Watford, John, for, for Dean Smith? Do you think in the lineup of the formation, even the, the roles and style of plays, do you think he's went, right, there's, there's things there we need to address? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think at the moment we're almost still in that period of getting to know everyone almost and I think especially in the first half we really didn't look like a team we just seemed you know Danny Ings doesn't know Jacob Ramsey Jacob Ramsey's barely played with El Ghazi El Ghazi's not played with Danny Ings um, obviously Buendir as well hasn't you know so every time we sort of move the ball forward it was almost like a, what run are you going to make you know you know that sort of thing um, but we needed a reaction didn't we I mean first half of Watford obviously wasn't you know unacceptable second half against Watford was obviously much better Um and I'd actually argue that first half of Newcastle wasn't particularly great, to be honest. We just needed that moment from Danny Ings and we could easily have been one or two behind. So you saw we've, we've got the rub of the green, I think, um, against Newcastle. But ultimately, yeah, I think Smith probably changed a few bits here and there. And, you know, we've you know obviously won the game and just got the three points. That was the main thing. But there's certainly things to work on. Um, as you say, Brentford won't be an easy game uh, next weekend. And there's still, you know, still things to work on now. Um I almost think it's just getting in, getting to the um, international break because some of our players haven't even trained. You know, obviously like Leon Bailey's barely trained. Um, the tactics and what Smith wants to put into the team hasn't really come off just yet, but that's not necessarily a worry for me. It's just that pre-season was so disrupted and so, you know, COVID hit as well. So I don't think there's too much. Um, I'm not putting it on anyone. I just think it's kind of unlucky, but at the same time, we do need to start sort of, um, you know, getting used to our teammates, this sort of thing. Um, but to beat Newcastle 2-0 in the end was, you know, a very, very good result. I don't know what that says. It says probably more about Newcastle than what it says about us, to be honest, because it's a pretty poor result for them, considering the sort of state that we're in at the moment. Yeah, I was about to say, actually, because it, it was it's obviously that the Steve Bruce derby comes back to, to Villa Park. And actually, you know, from a human perspective, you got a nice reception from the uh, Trinity Stunner when he came out. He got a few claps. Uh, didn't continue the whole game, obviously, because I think when everyone's uh, <laughs> gets a bit aggro, and, yeah, yeah, you know, you know how it is. Uh, yeah, I, I've probably said a few things that I can't repeat here yeah. in the uh, podcast, standing up on the whole end. So it's just the way it goes. But do you think it was Villa's inefficiencies in the first half before the goal paddle? Was it like the Newcastle game plan? What 
what wasn't going right for Villa in that before the 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 excellent goal we'll come on to. What wasn't going right? Do you think he was it just the kind of I guess the rough around the edges look for Villa that they've had because of that disrupted preseason? Was it the lack of a Leon Bailey, a Jack Grealish? Was it a, what? Was it teething problems? What what was going on? Was it Newcastle or us? Or uh, I think it is us predominantly. Yeah, um, Danny Ings was obviously brought in and he. 90% of the time was in a 4-4-2 last season with Shea Adams. So he's not used to playing up top on his own. I think he only had 18 touches of the ball, which just shows he's not getting that involved. But obviously he's capable of that bit of magic. And then the other part of it, obviously he didn't put a foot wrong in this game like, at all. But Ashley Young and El Ghazi on the left-hand yeah. side, it kind of just stagnates it for me. Because Ashley Young, I think he had 31 carries, which was more than any other player on the team. So if you're running everything through that left-hand side with Ashley Young, and El Ghazi, who both want to cut in on their right foot. I just don't think like, it's very predictable. And I think uh, the defenders are just very easy to defend as well. And El Ghazi, I think he had, he led the team in miscontrols with seven. So him not producing apart from his goal, obviously, that adds to it. So the left-hand side, I think we had 18 attacks down that side. And that was the majority of our attacks, like 46%, I think. And nothing's really coming from it down the left side. So I think when once you get Matt Target and um, Leon Bailey or Traore or Buendia out there, then I think you'll see a bit more of a, an attacking output from the Villa player. I wanted to ask you actually, John and Pat, I wanted to get both of your opinions on this because there's, there's been a mixed reaction to Buendia and I watched uh, our match reaction and Matt said, you know, he, he was doing all the graft, all the hard work, and you know, you know, he's still he's still getting used to playing for the Villa. And I feel the same. I feel like he was getting involved uh, a lot deeper, probably to his frustration. He was having to do a lot of the dirty work. He was biting out. He was being a bit of a uh, little terrier, wasn't he? Uh, snapping away at Newcastle, getting in people's faces, making himself a bit of a, a pain to deal with, but not in the attacking sense that we've come to expect. So I'll go to you, John, first. What do you make of Wendy's start? I would probably put it down to fitness, to be honest. I think again, he's been. Been a bonnet with Defense, been a bonnet here for a little while now. But I don't know, I, to me, it, sort of, it seems to sort of gas out at about 60 minutes. And I was kind of calling yeah. for Village and Bidax to come on and give us that extra, you know, something down the right. Um, he seemed to drift inside an awful lot, um, which Matty Cash, I think, on a few occasions enjoyed because that means he can bomb on. But at the same time, when the ball's out wide and you've got Buendia almost, you know, right next to Danny Ings, it's not, not too effective. Um, but no, I. I, again, we can't doubt he's clearly a top player, um, and I think there was you showed a few glimpses of a few glimpses of that as well um, in the first half where he'd knock over someone's head and he'd, you know take the ball out of a dangerous situation. Um, but we haven't really seen him, you know, create too much or be too much of a threat in front of goal. I don't actually remember him really being in the box against um, Newcastle. But yeah, again, it's it's, it's um, early days. And luckily, we have someone like Danny Ings to kind of get us out of a hole at the moment. Um, but that's kind of, you know, when you got someone like, you know, Grealish or whatever, you rely on so much. If he has a bad game, we don't play. You bring in Buendia. If he has a bad game, we're still, you know, capable of winning a game quite comfortably. So that says an awful lot, in my opinion. You know, we're almost winning a game comfortably without having our record signing, you know, make an impact really yet. So, yeah, you know, there's no negatives involved for me there. Um It'll take a little time to get going, but again, no doubts from me that he'll be a top player for us and be a major reason if we, you know, get top six this season or even, you know, win a couple something. 
Yeah, I'm fairly positive about kind of the impact he's had already. I mean, he hasn't been, yeah. you know, straight into those shoes to fill. He's obviously got the, the number 10. So there's a kind of big expectation there. But I think we're all kind of level-headed about our expectations. And it might not be, it might be a while before we see the best of Brendan. But what we're seeing right now isn't bad, I guess, Pat. I think, well, what do you make of that start? What, what is he hitting? You know, is he hitting the ground running? What, what, yeah. what's going on? I think the Watford game is a poor performance for anyone, so you can't really judge anything there. Yeah. But in this game, yeah, like John said, he showed glimpses of it, like the little flick over the player's head, played the ball, it was inch perfect. Uh, he had four shot-creating actions, which was second behind McGinn as well with five. So you are beginning to see that bit of creativity. And I think he just needs to find his position as well, because whether it's 10 or right wing, I'm not really sure it makes a difference, because he's not an out-and-out winger that... You know, beats a man down the line and like whips a ball, and he's always going to play narrow, like regardless. And I think you'll also benefit when you do see like a, a Watkins come into the team or Bailey or whoever else, like more production comes into the team because at the minute I just don't think he has much space to operate in. So if you get these other players in the squad and like stretches the play a bit more and the concentration of defenders is like on other players as well as him. He'll probably come into the game a bit more, but yeah, it was promising to see him develop in the second game. Onwards and upwards for him. Really excited to see what he brings, but I'm more excited to speak about this goal actually because I will say out of nowhere, and I'm not going to act like it's a masterclass, um, but obviously it's a, uh, a drawn up set play for, from Villa, which is uh, absolutely bizarre. They've probably tried it in the past, but it's never come <laughs> off to, you know, the two goals essentially we've got from drawn up set plays today from the exact same kind of routine. It's a throw in for Matty Cash and he, he gets a towel out, uh, dries the ball off, fair play. He's in the Newcastle end drying it off as well and everyone's giving him stick. And um, launched it in the box. Um, Tyron Means collects it. He rises above, I think, two or three players actually to meet it. Uh, knocks it down for Danny Ings who buries it with one of the best goals that you'll probably ever see at uh, Villa Park. Um, amazing, amazing overhead kick and it is... I think it is the, uh, I've got it up actually on the side of the screen. It's a mirror image of what he scored for England. Yeah. Uh, bar yeah. From, a, from a corner. It's, it's, a, it's a Mings rising up, knocked yeah. down or knock up. Uh, same yeah. same difference. He's, he's knocked it across to Danny Ings. He's buried it with an overhead kick. And I think a lot of credit has to go. Look, it's not reinventing the wheel, is it? It's a, it's a throw in. But from the way it was, it was planned, you know, from the way you can see it was planned, not for Ings to score an over a kick, but for there to be an avenue created by Mings for someone to score from that yeah. opportunity. And if you think, John, about the way Villa started the game, they're going to have games like that where they're not up to speed and the other team's giving threat. There's a striker, there's a nine like Callum Wilson who's pushing off your best defender and making space. And there's a 50-50 chance it doesn't go your way. Suddenly there's open space. You're going to be under threat and you're not going to be up to speed in games where you think that you should be winning. So what do you do yeah. is you draw up a play or a set piece or an opportunity to make that little bit of luck for yourself and that avenue to score. And Villa did it perfectly, set the tone for the entire game from then on. I want to know what your thought for that whole play was because it was, watching it again, I thought it was just him launching it into the box, but watching it again, you can see Mings yeah. is moving towards the ball before it's thrown. So yeah. he knows yeah. what's what the crack is there, John. Yeah, exactly. The, the point you just made, basically, then of you know Newcastle have the better of the chances, or a team can have a better of the chances. But as long as you know you're in the game and that you've got like you know a secret weapon or such, you know up your sleeve, then there's every chance you can go into half time one nil up in the forty third minute, you know forty fifth plus three minute or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, obviously we've got this new specialist set piece coach as well. Um, 
Austin McPhee. And it, every time on the technical area, he was always, you know, shouting at different players. And to be fair, we, we saw um, uh, Neil Cutler doing that a lot of the, you know, for the last two years. But we haven't really had too much joy from set pieces at all. Um, but as soon as Austin McPhee started to, you know, and this, that and the other, and we were starting to get um, more chances from set pieces and, you know, to see the, a long throw payoff for Villa, that, that's something that I've never seen before, to be fair, at Villa Park. Um, but no, yeah, if you get, if you can get an opportunity to do it, then, you know, why not? And I don't know how many times you can use these different things because, you know, again, you're not reinventing the wheel, you're just launching the ball into the box and then Mings flicks it on and Mings is obviously a moment of um, magic. So I don't know how many times you can use these different things, but, you know, that goal has pro- probably got us the three points, hasn't it, On the you know, against Newcastle. If you can do that another three or four times throughout the season, that gets you, you know, 10 points. And that's, you know, last season, that would have probably got us into Europe. So it's the smallest of margins. But ultimately, it's, you know, a massive difference. Yeah, Pat, it's like Villa have went from a team for years who seem to struggle taking the throw-in, even mm-hmm. in the most basic, rudimentary sense of just putting the ball back into the play. But from this situation, and having watched it over and over again, because A, it's a delicious goal and B, it's something new for Villa. You know, you've seen you've seen this exact movement happen now in a number of sets, whether it's a corner or a throw-in. It's mm-hmm. them getting the ball to a Mings or a Konza who's going to rise and knock it down for one another. And that makes me think, actually, was this intended for Mings to knock it to Konza and Konza's rushed in because he's seen Mings mm-hmm. is actually up against three people and then he's inadvertently created the space. Or is he like a shield? I don't know because you don't want to look in too, too, <laughs> into this too much. Because it might be they chuck it into the box and things happen. <laughs> But with a specially set piece, set piece coach and the, the kind of pattern, because it happened, the, the exact same thing happened for our, our second goal, obviously, which which the penalty came off the handball. But, you know, what do you make of the, this approach now? Because Villa kind of, they've been all right at set pieces, but this is a game where it was won for Villa by yeah. set pieces. What do you make of that, Pat? I just think for several seasons that seems like my whole time I've watched Villa in my lifetime we've not been good at set pieces until we had like Martin Larson or something someone there and I think last year Mings was up there with the highest percentage in like success rate in aerial duels so you're like begging for him to just like produce from these like areas and it's something to do with the delivery as well obviously but um yeah it's obviously something they've worked on because Villa I think I've looked at the stats yesterday and Villa like fifth, sixth for shots stemming from um, set pieces now. So McPhee's obviously having some form of impact, and whether it be from a throw-in, a corner or whatever, we're creating chances now where previously we weren't doing that at all. Like, yeah, like John said, there could be the difference between winning an extra 10 points in the game and like coming away in games like this where you're from open play, you're not creating anything, and then you're getting the results still. So especially with... Like, you can even throw the likes of Wesley on in the last 20 minutes, 10 minutes or something like I think he came on yesterday, played one minute, not yesterday, Saturday, played one minute, had four aerial duels and won two of them. And I, I was there thinking, okay, positionally and the way he attacks the ball, he's looking a bit better. And you're like, obviously, from his stature, you can see he's a, he can dominate defenders. So it would be interesting to see him play tomorrow as well against Barrow, I think. See if we can utilise him from the set pieces as well. Yeah, I think Just Barrow's got on, a lot to deal with, haven't they, John, actually? But yeah, carry yeah, on. Yeah, I was on the um, on the set pieces and the throws as well. I remember reading something um, about Dean Smith. He, he, he said that David Moore's put out an article um, about basically throws and about how it's going to be like the next big tool, basically, the next big thing to use, which, again, we're not reinventing the wheel. And if anything, 
throwing seem probably overused sometimes when you had like Rory the Lap and players like these. Um, but Smith said it's our untapped potential and um, that the ball goes out, you know, up to 20, 30 times, you know, a game. And why can't we make the most of that if you can just put the ball in the box, um, go a bit more direct? You know, why can't we score more goals from then? It mm. makes total sense because in some ways it's almost like a corner. You know, if the ball's going in the box and you get Tyron Mings winning the ball or as we concert, then you've, you know, there's a half chance there. And if you can make four or five of those a game, you know, you're probably getting a goal there somewhere, aren't you? Yeah, it, it, to me, it, it's a really, um, it's a tricky situation for other teams to defend because, look, it's a known quantity now that Villa, if they have Matty Cash on the field, are going to look, could quite possibly launch the ball directly into into your goal mouth and there's Tyra Mings yeah. and as you can't deal with that. But what makes that a, a difficult situation to plan for, I guess, is Tyra Mings beat two or three people to that ball hmm. and... You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be winning that. You shouldn't, but it comes from a, it comes from a different angle because of throwing or throwing. If you think about it, it's coming straight in from the air, isn't it? And looping in, whereas a, the corner's got a rise and you can kind of yeah. get its trajectory. But yeah. it just makes it seem like that is not a secret weapon, but something that teams are going to have to plan for. And if you're double marking your Mings, if you're double marking your Conzat, what does that mean for when you target Danny Ings, when you're, when you're targeting Wesley? You know, there's a lot yeah. to uh, account for there, Pat. So, yeah. Could we see this going forward or is it just a one-off? Who knows? I look forward to it. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, it really seems really rudimentary, it. doesn't it? Just yeah. chucking the ball in. How will Villa create without Jack Grealish? Like... <laughs> <throw in. laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, as I say, Barrow, they probably had to plan for, you know, Villa's kind of second string, but now they've got the uh, Austin McPhee drawing up um, quarterback <laughs> plays and runs and all of the best NFL coach there is. So, no, fair play to him. I think um, there's a lot of criticism of Villa's coaching staff after um you know the departures and what can I do to step up we've seen different angles now which is uh really good John um how do you expect us and just a, m- a moment on Villa's coaching staff do you expect us to kind of bring in another coach or do you think we're relatively settled with the with the roles we have I mean obviously we're not adverse to what's going on exactly between the four walls of Bodham Heath but I think we've seen some places suggesting that we want to bring someone in, potentially like a Thomas Franks. Obviously, people forget yeah. he was Dean Swift's assistant, you know, and now he's next week going to be going, um, you know, head to head in, you know, in terms of just being managers. Um, I think there's probably something missing if you just sort of locate manager of uh, assistant coaches to almost departments in the team. You have Neil Cutler, goalkeeper, Dean Smith, kind of, you know, overseeing it all, Craig Shakespeare and. Uh, Austin McPhee, I, there isn't you know, John Terry defence and uh, Richard I think he was working a lot with the attackers and younger players in the um, first team. So there seems to be something missing. Um, we don't know whether we wanted to um, sort of streamline that maybe, but I would presume that we're going to bring another one in. Um, obviously, we have no names. We won't want to speculate on that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone else came in. We don't know time frames either. That could be the end of the season. It could be halfway through. It could be next week. We don't know. But I would presume that there's something there that we'll be looking at. So I want to uh, talk about a, a special player who isn't John McGinn, Jacob Ramsey, Danny Ings or uh, Matty Cash, Torremings. It's uh, Ashley Young uh, returning to Villa Park after a long, potentially controversial absence. Pat. Um, he came in, he did a job, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, probably difficult circumstances because obviously you've got that uh, winger probably touching on the uh, top tier there with uh, mm-hmm. what Sam Maxman can do on his day. He did well. In, in my opinion, not probably world beating, but enough where you're not subbing him off at half time. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. It's it's better that I haven't remembered anything from him than I've remembered all of Target's 45 minutes <laughs> against Watford. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm fine with him. And 
doing that in uh, his performance against Sir Maxman. Obviously, Sir Maxman drifts across, and he can't really. He doesn't really have a position. I don't think. He's just free to do whatever he wants. But apart from obviously seeing him dribble a few times, he didn't really do much. So I was happy with that. But there was a few times in the first half. I think he made a few runs, and he. He's like doing that hunched over run and then like sizing the player up. And I was like, I'll just cut in and cross it into Carew. But yeah, I was completely fine with it. But like I mentioned earlier, I think going forward, if you want, if fans want to see this fluid attack and like Villa flooding forward, I think you need Matt Target back in the side with his left foot. And Al Ghazi maybe needs to come out for Bailey or, or compete, just play a bit better than he did, to be honest. But yeah. Nothing, nothing, not a bad word to say about Young at left back. To be honest, he's very versatile, and I'm happy with his performance. Yeah, so he could play on the. Obviously, we've seen him play up top uh, on the uh, on the left. We could see him on on the uh, at right back, mm-hmm. probably on right wingers. Right, he could play. I guess he'll be the upgraded version of a, an old Leo Bakuna there. Mm. I guess playing everywhere except goal. I bet if you asked Bakuna to play in goal, he would have done as well. <laughs> uh, but, but I digress. We, we've moved on to better things now than uh, talking about Bakuna. I don't think we've. <laughs> probably the first mention on this podcast <laughs> it's a better era now lads um but i wanted to uh, mention because i think you, you talk about ashley young someone brought in for their level-headed their experience um their ability to be really calm um when josh murphy was it jake it's one of the murphys for, for newcastle yeah. went over in the box or just yeah. outside the box um looked like he made a meal of it but you don't know when you're at the game it's only when you see after ashley young really gave him a piece of his mind and that that wasn't the only time um guys i think you've probably seen a few times he was right in people's faces and i was thinking is he the is he meant to be the 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 kind of guy kind of keeping everyone cool is he just having a (laughs) absolutely everyone because it looked like it's one of those games i'll never wish for covid football again but it's one of those games where you wish there was no fancy because you would have picked up every word he said to to uh, Murphy, and he was yeah. right in his face as well. Just wanted to know yeah. what, if, if you guys picked up of, of any of uh, Ashley Young's antics on the day. Well, oh, you probably got a lot of it from Italy, to be fair. Yeah, I'm going probably yeah. made him into absolute nutcase. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that wasn't a yellow card for um, Josh or Jacob Murphy when they went down because he, he, he was going proper pace, and obviously Ashley Young's got to be really careful there. And to be fair, it was because he didn't touch him. But he's gone flying, um, Jacob or Josh. I wish we knew the name. That's um, Jacob. I've got it off. Jacob. Jacob. I thought it was. Um, so I'm surprised I wasn't a booking, but there we go. Strange decision. It looked like a pen at full pace mm. to me. Like I was at the very back of the hole. And the way I saw it, I went, oh, God, I looked away. I thought it was yeah. like, guaranteed. But yeah. I haven't even watched the replay since because when involved about the three points, but I don't mind. But <laughs> I don't know if it was a dive or wasn't a dive. But by his reaction, uh, he, looked, he was right in his face. And I was like, he was incensed, yeah. almost unreasonably as well. It's like, okay, yeah. he went over and he's looking for it. You know, you can give him a few words. He was there for minutes, like <laughs> minutes when he's on the floor. And then he did, did someone else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's very, well. it's a versatile point on Ashley. Young. I think there was one point in the game where Matt Cash had a bit of a problem. Um, and I was thinking, oh, what are we going to do here? But then all of a sudden, you've got, well, Ashley Young can go right back, left back, left wing, right wing, if you need to, you know, obviously mm. we'll. One to look or maybe two to look at this point. And there's so many options you can do there. Even with Tuan Zebe as well off the bench, I think he came on, um, played in midfield for the last yeah. couple of minutes, didn't yeah, he? he did, yeah. You know, you you put anyone almost any, especially Ashley Young and Tuan Zebe. Even Conte can play right back. Um, you know, there's so many options there for us to choose from. You know, if in need. So yeah, he's, you know, that's a massive positive for Young, obviously. Um, but in general, I think he was just he was very steady. He didn't really put any put a foot wrong and say if that Jacob Murphy um, decision he he could have put a foot wrong but he didn't he knew exactly what he was doing and maybe Ashley Young seven 
you know, eight years ago, that's obviously a long time ago, um, would have done that. But he's, he knows his position well. He's, you know, so very calm and steady. And he's, that probably rubs off on the team, to be fair, as well. Yeah, I think it's time to talk second goal then. Uh, another, I know it's a penalty. We all know it's a penalty score by Al-Ghazi, but I want to talk about the moment that earned the goal. And I think the FPL assist for Mings, which is always a bizarre decision to give the assist to someone who, who wins the penalty. Controversial, um, to say the least. But um, yeah, uh, corner knocked him. Konza does the same thing that Mings did um, for the uh, throwing, knocks it down. Mings is already there. It's it's like you know what's going to happen. Then he knocks it down. Mings heads it across. Uh, handball in the box. Um, bizarre. No, I you know it's a VAR call, and you, I didn't know. Nobody knew. Mings didn't, didn't celebrate or like, appealed for it at all, did they? Yeah, I had no idea what was happening. Absolutely bizarre. But then you see, uh, it, it was probably it was a VR decision that took ages, but it's one that there was two big ones in the game. We'll come on to that one. Um, but that was uh, an amazing one where you just don't know what's happening. They, they show it you, and even then you're like, is it? Like you saw it's on the screen, you can't even see. They flash yeah. it up for a second to show everyone, yeah, it's actually, I'm all lads, calm down, everyone. You see, it and you're like, I need to see it over and over again. I need a TV in front of me. Um, yeah. But did you? Uh, what do you make of kind of the VAR call part and the process of that in the stadium? Well, obviously that one took quite a while, and it's gone our way, so I'm not going to be fuming about. It. But when I looked at it the day after, I went, oh, "Okay, fair enough." Yeah, I don't know why the players weren't appealing for it because his hand is up there. He's made himself bigger. It's not obviously. I think Bruce said like when you throw your legs up to block something, your arms naturally go up. But he has extended his like the size of him through opening his arms up, and I thought it was going in as well. I thought yeah. is, I thought the keeper was to the, like, the near post, and he was nowhere near it. Probably would have gone in. So yeah, my friend had Mings in his fantasy team, so I'd rather get the assist than the goal. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come on to, to fantasy in a minute, but because I was about to say, uh, Danny Ings not taking a penalty. It's a yeah, big amount of that as well. He had a long time to think about the penalty as well, because I think as soon as um, the referee's been told to go to the monitor, I think it was that, because it, it was a long time with that monitor as well. It was about a minute or even two minutes. And El Ghazi knows it's the penalty kick taker when he's on the pitch, because obviously at Watford, he, I think he was off at the time. So he's had an awful lot of time to think about that. He's had the VAR decision plus Freddie Woodman in his ear for about two minutes because the referee was telling someone to get back in the box or whatever. So he's had about four or five minutes to think about where he's putting the penalty and lo and behold, he just sticks it in the corner. And, you know, no problems. And yeah, he's a very good penalty kick taker, isn't he? Oh, guys, yeah. You know, Danny Ings probably isn't too happy that he's coming to Villa and trying to get like 25 goals this season, but El is on penalties. But the guy scores them, doesn't he? So um, I'll probably jinx that. But there we go. He won us the game, so... Yeah, a lot of criticism of our guys, of course. You know, I remember in the first podcast we did last season on, on Claren Blue and I was saying, looked off the pace against Burton in that EFL Cup, didn't they? In that Carabao Cup. Yeah. He's not up to it. Um, probably best we move him on. But solid part of the squad. Um, probably, he's, look, I think you say this about a lot of people, no world beater, but on his day, he's going to contribute and it's his day might come every three weeks. But when it comes, you you, you don't often let you know about it. So, yeah, great penalty technique. I think, the, the, I don't know what the stat is, but there's like a sweet spot for the time to take a penalty. I don't know if mm. you've seen it, but if you rush it, you've got more chance of missing. And if you leave it too long, it's yeah. just about having the, it's like the perfect time just to take a big deep breath and then yeah. step up and kick it. And I think you see on the replay, what Sam while doing is taking a massive gulp of air, settling himself and then banging it in the goal. So, can't argue about that uh, that penalty technique there, Pat. Yeah, um, I didn't have, obviously, apart from the fact things was in my uh, fantasy team, I didn't have that much of a problem with El Ghazi taking the penalty, to be honest. Obviously, he's 
got an abnormal ability at taking them and he's very good. I think that's six for six or something in the Premier League. But uh, he's very much a confidence player as well. So if Bailey, Bailey had a hamstring, I think he's tweaked his hamstring or something. I don't know if he'll play tomorrow or Brentford. But if El Ghazi's confident, like we saw against, like on his run last year, I think 12, 10 goals or something. Like he's not your normal winger. He's more of like a poacher type character. Like he'll get in the box, like his goal against Chelsea. And like if you've got him confident, then he can contribute. Because sometimes he does just go missing in games, but then other times you can set the game alight. But yeah, I'm not too annoyed about Ings not taking it. He probably is because he wants to score as many as possible as all strikers do, especially with Watkins breathing down his neck if they don't don't play with each other. But yeah, not too much to say about it really. I'm fine with it, especially if he's going to get more game time in the future. Yeah, cards on the table, uh, John. If Roma or a rumoured team... Well, Galatasaray would to come in with 15 million for Amar Garza. Are you taking that deal? Because, I mean, the money's on the table, but I think no. I think he's he's a good enough part of the squad to kind of keep around. And if you have a holes to be filled, I mean, maybe you can look to the bench yeah. and look to the academy. But 10 goals last season, his best ever return in the Premier League. He's a Premier League player and he can cut it. Uh, it's just he can't, it doesn't seem like he can cut it every week mm. in the way mm. we want. But, the contribution in output is there. Scored more goals than any of the Villa players since we got promoted, I think it is in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, more match winning goals as well since Juan Pablo Angel in like 2002 or something. Like it's the stats he's putting up are crazy. Like you can, yeah, you can isolate little things in games and whatever. But ultimately, you say output, that's, the, that's what wins your points. Um, I don't think I would accept the money. Like again, you don't want to kind of keep you know, sort of blowing our own trumpet, but do we need that money? I don't think we do. 15 million, is that really going to, you know, is that going to get us that defensive midfielder that everyone needs or wants? I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think the money's there if we want to spend it. We've, we're five million pounds in the grain this summer, if you look at it, um, Pep Guardiola's theory. Um, so I, I wouldn't accept that money. No, I think, you know, what's, do we need that? I don't think so. And we need options on the wing as well, don't we? You've got Fligian and Bidace and Bailey, Buendia, Bertrand Troyer as well. Um, you know, that's for two wingers plus an attacking midfielder if you're playing that 4-3-1, obviously got Watkins too. But you need options, you know. How many times have we said that our bench needs to be stronger or this needs to happen? Or we need more players coming off the off the bench to change games. So why would we then sell Ogazi, who's clearly a very competent player coming off the bench and to, to score a goal and change the game, make an impact? It doesn't really make sense to me unless you're getting you know, stupid money for him, but that's not going to happen. So I wouldn't take 15 million because that's that's probably the going rate for a player of El Ghazi's quality. And why would you need to sell him if he's now performing and scoring goals? They wouldn't make sense. Yeah. I feel like it's very easy uh, for us all, actually, to hold up the graphs and go, look, we can get an upgrade, but it's about whether they fit mm. into Villa. And we're yeah. not looking, you know, buy a winger from, you know, Serie A and he becomes Mr Villa overnight. But there is a difficult transition sometimes for players and you know why sell a player who's settled who can contribute in ways here and there you know we're probably looking more off the bench but starting he's got his goal performance probably a bit iffy there pat but that's the the, yeah. the winger what you're gonna that, get, get from him yeah it's what you get from i guess most wingers because you probably yeah, look at true. sam maxman yesterday and go oh he didn't offer anything did he if you're a you newcastle know, where, where's his output but mm-hmm. you know um Algarzi, direct player, probably hasn't got the hat full of tricks, but he has got one in him. Can run into brick walls a lot of the time, but I think of the moments he's provided 
and in terms of special moments, you know, you've got your five five, you've got the playoff goal, you've got the penalties, you've got the the Wolves one last year just coming yeah. out of nowhere, and then it starts a spree of scoring that doesn't really stop. Um, I can't, I don't know if in good faith I can take that money because you just buy someone else. Do they? Yeah. They might be better on paper in the league they're in right now, but do they come in? Do they be better? Now? Not just in our guys, but then the players that should be pushing out your Brendan and Bailey, they're, they're not gonna, are they? And it's another player that you'd have to embed in the squad, and it's another player that hasn't played with any of them. So I think keeping a core of a squad is as vital as anything at this point in time. We've got so many changes happening to the team. So, yeah, I wouldn't accept it. As John said, we don't need the money. So, no, I wouldn't have it. Another um, player to speak of then. Uh, we've got a few. got Ramsey, McGinn. But I want to talk about Tyrone Mings because I think lockdown football didn't suit him very well because he's a player who very clearly thrives off the energy of a stadium. He thrives off the connection with a fan base. In person, you can see his importance. He wins almost everything, you know, bar the Callum Wilson 50-50. But Let's talk about he, that. <laughs> he probably thought he should have been flagged for a foul and he was done there. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can't make up that space if someone pushes off you. But the rest of the game, unstoppable. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason why we won and the reason why we didn't lose as well at the same time, um, fantastic performance, blocking almost everything, rising to meet everything. Could have had a goal, had the two assists if you're a, an FPR fan, but dominant, Pat dominant yeah um if you look at the average positions he's Conza sits a bit further like deeper and then he's the one that steps up and I, I think they had a few times where he was intercepted the ball and that like, drove us forward that's what you get from him like obviously you are gonna have to overlook the mistake at the beginning with Wilson and if he had if he had scored it which he probably should have the game's completely different and the outlook of yeah. the, the Ming's performance is different but it might have been a foul on McGinn just before it as well. VAR might have had to look at that. And then some of the VAR talking point. But yeah, with Mings now the, like the official captain as well, I think he's only going to develop throughout the season. I think you saw the Euros as well, what he's capable of in terms of just being a dominant defender that doesn't put a foot wrong. Obviously, fans are going to look at the uh, mistakes he makes, but I think he's ironing them out, to be honest. And I think throughout the season, you'll see that. Yeah, so uh, John, I wanted to talk to you about the uh, Ming special down the channel. Barrett Jack Grish is a, a harder sell, but Mings to Leon Bailey, Mings to Ings, again, that connection's already there. Could be a special thing, and if he can, look, there, there is going to be mistakes. I think he led the league in them. Last mm-hmm. season, mistakes leading to a goal. I think the game he plays, he carries a lot of responsibility, and that comes with a lot of risk, but mm-hmm. you would ask Tyra Mings to carry that risk if it came with those consequences, right? Yeah, exactly. I think there was there was a couple of occasions as well when I was kind of finding myself clapping <laughs> clapping for him when he would just knock the ball out um, out of play when you got like someone like Callum Wilson bombing down the wing and he's you're thinking, don't do a step over, don't do a step over, just knocks out of play, and we can reset and you know defend the throw in. Um, but no, you're totally right. He's, he'll play that ball, you know, opposite or you know, down the channel. Um, and he does it really well. This is the Tyrone Mings that we knew in the Championship, and obviously it's a massive step up to the Premier League. But we know the guy's got so much technical ability and quality on the ball. He played he's played as a left back for, you know, probably more games than what he has as a centre back. I think he did did an interview with um Michelle Owen with Villa TV the other week. Um and he was basically saying how, you know he did he's played like fifty more games than um, Mings. Mings hasn't even played hundred games as a as a centre back in his career yet and that's crazy considering he's twenty eight, England international, Villa captain. So he's he's not necessarily learning on the job anymore, but is yeah, personally anyway, I think there's signs there that he's definitely maturing as a centre back. Um, 
because as I say, the guy was a left back for you know seven seven years of his career. Um, so that's where he's got his technical ability from. He can clearly move with the ball and takes up the pitch. Um, but it's just taking out those mistakes. If you took out those mistakes last season, then there'd be no um, sort of opposition necessarily for him to be in the England team last year. Not from Villa fans, but from um, other fans. Because obviously there's quite a few good options at centre-back uh, that Gareth Southgate's got to choose from. Um, but no, I think the captain's armband as well makes him a massive... Um, gives him that boost, really. You know, we've obviously seen Grealish um, when he was there with Villa, a huge boost for him. And then for Mings as well, just that mentality of knowing that he's got the responsibility and how he got, sort of carried himself on the pitch and demands so much from, other, from um, other people as well. You know, I don't think we can ask for a better captain, really. And to be putting performances like he will be doing, I'm sure, during the season, um, he'll be staying in the England squad and we'll have an England centre-back hopefully going for a starting position if he, you know, stays consistent. Yeah, just so many to speak about. I'm thinking about which name to bring up next. And I think a point you brought up there about, I guess, experience in football coming via appearances rather than age. And you, you look at Mings and Conte, they've got very similar level of appearances racked up at centre-back. So I know one is older yeah. than the other, but you're, you're looking there as, as two players developing at the same time because of the amount of football they've played at, at the, yeah. in their actual position. Um, a lot of football that's been played by Douglas Louise came in as a... No, I wouldn't say shock. It was probably on the cards, but definitely surprised to have been dropped straight back in um, mm. in central defence, uh, central defensive midfield, um, filling in sometimes situationally as a, a centre back, dropping in between uh, Kanz and Mings to collect the ball. So, really interesting to see him come back in and a bit of rustiness. But from what Villa fans were crying out for was that big defensive midfielder to to win the ball, to progress the play. I don't see that as how Villa would would want to set up now, Pat, because I feel like mm. having that speci- having like an Akamba start or an improvement on Akamba, it would separate your defence and your attack. Mm-hmm. Whereas Douglas Luiz is, look, he's not the best ball winner, he's not the best ball progressor, but he's somewhere in between where he can have an impact at both levels and, and provide a little bit of style as well as well as a little bit of frustration. So I feel like someone like Douglas Luiz can be more effective, but I don't know it would we be buying that defensive midfielder a ball winner just to sit on the bench where Nakamba is. Yeah. yeah, he came to this game and broke up the play. He did exactly what you expected of him. Broke up the play. I think he had three interceptions, three clearances and a tackle. And then obviously he does sit uh dropped in deeper and collects it and progresses the ball forward, which I think against Watford especially we severely lacked like when you're tasking, asking the camber to do it, he struggles so much. You just can't do it, to be honest. But, yeah, I've always been a fan of Douglas Lewis. I think he's got an underrated work ethic as well. Like I think last year he was third in pressures, and nobody mentions it. Like You praise McGinn for how much he runs. You praise Watkins for how much he runs. But Louise is right there, number three, like a few, like 10 or 20 behind them. And he, I think he played less minutes than both of them as well. Like he wasn't. There was a few games he got dropped from the camber. It was out for a red card, which is obviously the uh, the other issue with having him there. Is as good as he is on his day. When it's not his day, he can make a silly mistake. Like the penalties he gave against United. I think the Pogba one, or I can't remember actually the Fernandez one or something, was a bit dubious. But and at home against them, he cost us the game. And then obviously he's got a red card in him, like the Wolves game where it didn't cost us ultimately, so I think people forget it, but it could cost us. So I think that's what the issue people have with him. And in games where you do need an out-and-out defensive midfielder who maybe doesn't do the job as well as like a Nakamba, 
but yeah, I've always been a fan of him and it was a welcome sight seeing him back in the team. I think our tempo and the way we played benefited from it. Yeah, I think against Watford, we, we probably needed it to be Louise and McGinn rather than yeah. McGinn and Nakamba because I think big fan of Marvelous Nakamba and what he brings, but what he brings is a specific job. It's a one-sided which, job, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, not, it's a hard job. It's a, it's a demanding job and one that Villa need to be done. But it, he's much better focusing on that job than doing that as well as what Louise and McGinn are doing. And I think the future could be quite bright for Douglas Louise because I think when you look at what Villa probably need in the transfer market, it's 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 more of the profile of a, of a Louise, what they have, what they missed mm-hmm. against Watford. So I don't know, John, I, I'm still kind of split because last week we were say, sitting here with Dan saying, oh, we need a defensive midfielder. What, what, where are you kind of at with that now? I think... Well, firstly, I think what Smith said um, for his selection of choosing Louise, when he, I think he said, um, we're obviously going to see a lot of the ball. Um, so Louise is almost a shoo-in. So that, is that a hint maybe that we're looking for someone that does a different job altogether? Um, so it's, it, it, you could say it's harsh on the camber, but you say his, his, his profile is so specific. Um, it probably doesn't help him sometimes. Um, but when you're someone like Douglas Louise, you can take the ball, move it on and carry it a little bit. So Pat says pressures as well. He's, he's a very good work ethic. He, he does fit a really good job and it clearly showed that we missed him um, against Watford. Um, I'm not too sure if we're going to be getting another uh, defensive midfielder. I would have thought that if we're going to do that, it would have been earlier in the window because that seemed to be quite a you know a, a big move if we're going to make it. You know, cause if, if you want to improve on the likes of Sanson and Camber. Douglas Louise, um, McGinn, you, you, we have so many options from midfield. So if you're going to do that, you're going to have to probably spend upwards of 30, maybe even breaking the transfer record again, because you know, you've got midfielders like, um, I don't know, Anguisa maybe that's, or Basuma maybe slightly out of our um, radar, but those are the types that are really going to elevate you. Um, yeah, you can bring in a midfielder like Czech Decore, would certainly improve you, but would it be that difference maker that you would need over the course of a season to get you those you know, extra points to get you to Europe? I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't thought that we would bring in another defensive midfielder now. And to be fair, Douglas Suiz has only helped the cause um, coming in against Newcastle and you know, obviously performing really well. Where are you at with that, Pat? Because I know you've done a few articles on yeah. the situation at the defensive midfield. I guess might spend a little time on Transabi a bit later because I know it matches up with exactly what yeah. your, where your thought process and my, and my thought process really came straight at defensive midfield. But you've spoken a lot about defensive midfield and yeah. the kind of targets you could add in the midfield. But when you line it up, you've got your Ramsey, Chukwemeka, you've got your, your Sanson, Douglas Louise, Nakamba, McGinn an additional, you know, however hands still at the club, you've, you've got options there that aren't the best. They aren't progressing the club, but they're some of them are growing with the club in the case of mm-hmm. Louise McGinn, Ramsey, Chukwemeka, hopefully. Sansom, we haven't seen the best of. Do you spend all of that money on your Anguisa, your Bissouma, your Decore, just to be part of that rotation? I don't know. Mm-hmm. What, what, where are you at with that? It's so difficult to just figure out what to do, to be honest, because like you've seen this weekend, 4-3-3, and you've seen Ramsey and McGinn be standout performers in that. And I think fans will probably agree. McGinn starts, you start getting on McGinn's back when he's in that midfield two in a 4 2 3 1 in that like double pivot thing. But it's like, so if you bring in another holder midfielder, you're going to be wanting him to play with McGinn. And then McGinn's performance is probably going to dip following dropping back deeper. So like, I thought it was a welcome sight uh, against Newcastle to see him. Pinger shot from 25 yards over the bar into the uh, 
the stands because I just I like seeing him in those forward positions and like creating like led the team and shot creating actions with five and like he can contribute going forward and I do think he is wasted if you drop him in deeper in like a number six. What I think he could do if we were to invest in a um, another centre mid or a CDM is move Louise up a bit further forward into like the Ramsey role that he played this weekend because he's shown before he can produce going forward. I mean, like when he was in the box against Watford last two seasons ago, scored his goal against Bournemouth, Norwich, and I think for Brazil in the Olympics, he might he played with like a CDM type player, I think, or someone defensive minded. And obviously, fans have their issues with him as the holding midfielder. So, if that was the case, then obviously Ramsey drops out. So there's just so many like there's give and take with whatever move you make. But yeah. um, I'm not. I don't. I feel like we do need something else in midfield, a defensive midfielder against the bigger teams because against the Man City, maybe Nakamba's going to struggle. Like if we do get, we're going to see limited time on the ball. And if Nakamba's on it, then and he's shown against Tottenham last season, if he gets caught on the ball, it could cost us like Bergwijn's goal. But yeah, I just don't want to see McGinn drop back into the like holding midfielder role. To be honest, I'd want him in this four-three-three, like getting forward where he's best. No better time to speak about John again then. Essentially, I think sometimes he was looking. I think in the early Premier League days for Villa, like so, nineteen twenty, before obviously the pandemic struck and Villa were quite aggressive in their in their approach to matches. It looked like John McGinn essentially a second striker, if mm-hmm. not ahead of Wesley. You know, on the heat maps and where he's picking up the goal against Tottenham. He's a bloke breaking as a like a Watkins, like he's doing the, the exact Watkins thing of breaking through the ball coming over. So I feel like. John McGinn finding that advanced position. And look, he has the room to breathe and be the yeah. guy. Now, no, there's no one. He he does have to pass the ball. <laughs> you know, he's, it's not a one-man team. But he's not thinking, right, I've got to give this ball to Jack Grealish to get stuff done. Yeah. I can make a difference myself. I have this space yeah. to breathe. I've got the freedom. And we're seeing the best. We're seeing the kind of the John McGinn. I think, was it, it might have been Neil Lennon or, or Gordon Strachan that said it when... Um, Jack Grealish was was moving out the door to Tottenham and McGinn was coming to Villa. And McGinn was better than Grealish anyway. And we're not here to make that debate, but we're seeing that Villa aren't completely left out because when Jack Grealish was moving to Tottenham, it's probably that McGinn was coming in to replace him anyway. And he mm-hmm. just had that room to grow, develop as a player. And questions over him last season, questions over him against Watford, even though he managed to kind of redeem that performance. We're seeing again the best of John McGinn now, John. John and uh, yeah, yeah, your namesake. Um, I'm really enjoying what we're seeing from John McGinn with the freedom going forward. He's getting back, there's bags of energy, will not stop running. Pressure, he'll do everything to exception if you yeah. give him the freedom, the space, and time to do it. We're seeing championship, John McGinn. We're seeing early Premier League, John. We're seeing John, yeah, John. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's vice, vice captain John as well, isn't it? So, yeah, I think he's got he knows he's got that kind of seniority now in the team um him and Mings obviously you know captain vice captain I think they know they've got a responsibility and you know John McGinn like he knows he's playing for Aston Villa leading the club almost as like a senior player now and he's thinking well I'm the kind of main guy in midfield I'm literally need to drive this team forward um yeah again I think when he went on holiday during the summer I think he took a personal trainer with him and he's 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 kind of 
admitted himself that maybe in the last year or so, perhaps after his injury, um, his ankle injury, that he probably didn't come back as fit as he what he would have liked. And obviously that was Project Restart. And he probably didn't have as much minutes on the training pitch and perhaps over pre-season towards last season too. Maybe didn't, you know, um, necessarily treat his body as best he should have or condition himself as well as he could have. Um, but he looks more, you know, slender now. He looks more, again, like the championship John McGinn that we had. And we know there's such a good player in there that can do so many different things that other players can't. Um, so, yeah, if, if you can bring that McGinn back into this team, be that literal driving force um, in terms of being a leader um, and when he's on the board, that you just bring us forward. Um, there's so much that he can offer us. You know, we, we all know it. It's just, I think, last season, as you say, I think, Maybe the fans probably help it as well, to be honest, because he's, he's a player that is so intense and so, you know, full throttle. Um, obeying Holt End or even an away crowd will probably, you know, stimulate him to to break lines and get forward, take shots on. Um, I think we'll be seeing the better John McGinn this season. I really do, especially, as you say, without Jack Grealish. He's got that, you know, they're probably best mates or they were best mates. Um, you know, he, he's got that mantle now to take on and he knows that he can be um, a massive player for the club. Yeah, we've got to see... The John, Mc, the leader John McGinn, which we, you know, he's probably done. He's probably had that role, Pat. But we've got to see that on the pitch now. We are mm-hmm. seeing, him. we've seen the guy just going right. It's like Tyrone Mings. When something goes wrong with Tyrone Mings, you know he's absolutely going to be storming down the left flank yeah. in a minute to cross the ball in and, and get. <laughs> he's going to try and <laughs> make amends for it. You know, you saw it against Watford. Mm-hmm. Things flying down the left in the last minute trying to get that ball in, but. We got to see that John McGinn going forward. I think he got probably lost in a, in that double pivot. He probably got lost with Grealish's ascent and, and the squad being kind of balanced when it started, imbalanced right. again, probably for the best. But we got to see the John McGinn, more of the John McGinn we saw against Newcastle than the John McGinn we saw kind of last season for the most part, I guess, Pat. Yeah, yeah it's just got an increased role, I think. It's the freedom to not have the responsibility to drop back and like sit there and be the player that breaks the play, but he can roam forward now. And obviously, I think he had six ground jewels, which is just you expect it of him because it's what he does. He's got that like, third lung and just keeps running. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it more this season. Obviously, he's come back fitter and he's got freedom to roam. But he's also, I think on his debut, he got two assists maybe. I think it was across to James Chester against Wigan and then he crossed the put corner in and then they scored an own goal, I think. But he, I feel like he's on set pieces again now, like corners. I don't know if that's McPhee, but I've always thought, why don't we just put McGinn back on them? Because I feel like he's got the best delivery, him or target. But yeah, I feel like just an increased role, being vice-captain, more responsibility, more freedom. And yeah, it just suits him. I feel like this season is going to suit him, yeah, to do whatever he wants to do. So I think we've got two little things to kind of talk about. Uh, I mean, little one of them was a really impressive performance and one of them was a really big incident. Um, before we kind of throw it forward to Barrow, I know we're approaching the arrow mark. Um, mm-hmm. Just a quick word on Jacob Ramsey. Um Nothing you can really get. It was it was the, the dirty work he was doing a lot, and he had a lot of the kind of some attacking freedom as well. He you saw him break with the ball, you saw him growing confidence, or you saw, mm-hmm. saw him get kind of mugged off in the first fifteen minutes. Not necessarily coming of age performance, but something saying I'm here and I can do a job for Aston Villa, which is you know brought in against Watford. Some Villa fans are putting the crying laughing emoji. You know, yeah. he's come a long way, and I think. Not necessarily the next big thing, but someone who's going to do a job for Villa, I think, is Jacob Ramsey. John, I feel really kind of excited about him and, and his brother Aaron about what they can bring to Villa because, look, again, they might not change the face of this football club. They might not have their yeah. faces printed on the stadium, but 
terms of academy, you've got someone performing at Premier League level now. And I guess Newcastle performance is bad. You can only play the team against you and Villa weren't too hot mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. to come out and put a performance like that, which is, you know, he's 7, 8 out of 10. Fair enough. I can't argue with that. Do we do we see more of that going forward, John? Yeah, I've, I think the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes, he was, he yeah. was just getting used to being in the kind of... Well, it was a cold though, wasn't it? I was thinking the when the team yeah. was announced. That's, you know, like a 19-year-old playing in... You know, forty-two thousand packed out Villa Park, expectant crowd, Newcastle at home. That is—it's daunting in the sense of, you know, it's not Man City away, daunting, but it's daunting because there's so so much expectation that you're the number ten. As soon as you get the ball, you got to turn and make things happen. That's very difficult for a young lad to do. Um, and I don't—has he played in front of the Villa Park crowd too often, Jacob Ramsey? I wouldn't have thought so. It's probably his first time playing in front of like a proper, you know, packed out. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of when I saw him last. It might have been. West Brom, the really horrible match where Harahan got um <laughs> really horribly booed off. So shouldn't be yeah yeah. yeah. It's not a joke, but yeah, it was it was really often. He was brought into that match. And I think he played on a wing, so hmm. we saw the development. Now, look, all the lockdown happened. It was only it's it's almost like imaginary. It happened on a screen in front of yeah you know six people in the stadium, and yeah. he's was a little kind of hot prospect. And now he, he's in that rotation, and I think he's earned it. Yeah, exactly. He looks more again, like mature. He's obviously been in the gym. He's he, he physically looks good. He's driving with the ball. You know, we're not expecting Jack Grealish, but the guy looks so comfortable. And I think you need that um, experience almost to have that ten minutes of almost looking a bit out of place. But then the fifty minutes afterwards, or you know, however long it was, um, that he really looked comfortable in the game and he was taking touches, bringing players into the game. Um, you know kind of using that um, atmosphere almost I think that's going to serve him really well and there's one thing doing it in empty games at Leeds which is obviously good for you know um, your confidence but to do it at Villa Park when there's an expectant crowd it could have gone one of two ways and I personally think he, he managed to change that especially in the second half he just looks so comfortable and Smith is clearly a massive fan of him and we can only trust Smith with this one um, and I think that's something that Trickelmaker kind of Trickelmaker is going to probably start to do this season similar pathway really into the first team for him as well. Yeah, I think people with these prospects, I feel like there's a big Chuck Wemmicker following who want to see the best when we all do, don't get me wrong, but I feel like that doesn't need to come at the expense of you, Jacob Ramsey, you feel the gene no. today. Aaron Ramsey, Louis Barry, Brad Young, you know, these players are coming through and they're finding a little fit and I don't know what role we see for, for you know, uh, Jacob Ramsey going forward or JJ as Dean Smith calls him, but are we seeing the rise of him now, Pat? Uh, the rise of JJ at Villa Park. What can we expect going forward, do you think? Well, I feel like he's made he's stated a claim in this game and he stated it again in the when he came out at half time against Watford. I feel like he changed that game for us well, albeit a bit there was too much wrong with that performance that he could change the game properly. But apart from the first fifteen minutes in this one, yeah. What I liked about it is I feel like when he gets the ball, he'll pick it up in midfield, obviously, but he's on the half turn as soon as he does and then driving forward, like driving the team forward. I think that's what we desperately need and that's probably why we're rumoured to be after the likes of Anguissa and that it's just progressing the team forward from midfield and like starting attacks. And I feel like he might be the one to do that, to be honest. But he's not a luxury player either, like seven ground jewels and eight, no, eight ground jewels and he won seven of them in this game. So apart from the first 15 minutes where it was probably a bit of a wake-up call for him, he held his own. And yeah, he's grown in stature, looks a bit stronger, looks confident on the ball, looks assured. And I think with a 19, 20-year-old, however, however old he is, that's all you can expect is someone that looks confident at the level and looks like he belongs in a Premier League side. So yeah, I'm hopeful. Obviously, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people breathing down his neck, even like his own brother. 
knocking on the door because <laughs> of a few arguments that one but yeah it's very promising and I feel like yeah guaranteed to start on Saturday for me brilliant I think I think that is a, it's a really good song because I know it, it praising Jacob Ramsey on social media always comes with a caveat yeah it was against Newcastle but it was against Watford he, he came in probably wasn't the the catalyst for the performance change but he was someone who drove the game at him mm-hmm. against Newcastle had the wake up call came to the squad and I don't think it's Ramsey or Wemaker, it's both because Villa rotate, Villa make decisions, Villa move, and one of them has had the chance and has taken it. And the other, mm-hmm. when they have their chance, I'm sure they will take it. I'm sure they will be the next big, you, big thing. Got as well, James. Like last season, I think Jacob Ramsey comes on against Chelsea away, almost won the game, hit the post. Chukwuma yeah. comes on against Tottenham, hits the post. You know, if both of those goals goes goes in, we're thinking, oh, you know, these are the two next. You know, um, England midfielders. So the little. Things like these, you know, we can't kind of pass judgment on players for a, a you know a sloppy ten minutes or something. When you know, when why don't we say that about when they have their good moments as well? You know, so we can only get behind the lads and as you know, with the amount of players that are coming through the academy at the moment, there's so much to be um, excited about. Yeah, so I'm pretty split because I think we have to chuck one of the uh, talking points out. So we either talk about the Emmy Martinez kind of lunge. <laughs> Or we talk about Tranzo be at defensive midfield. So I'll leave it up to you. Do you guys want to vote and I'll make the, the final decision? I'll vote on Tranzo. Yeah, I'll go Tranzo. I don't want to So yeah, I'll talk about the Emmy Martinez um, foul then. Um, it's reckless, but there we go. Uh, we'll go to uh, Tranzo be at defensive midfield. But yeah, it's bizarre how it's offside. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, you can like, kick his head off. <laughs> yeah. it's like offside. Never right? <laughs> fair, fair play. Yeah, it's like a time machine. Fair play to us. Reckless, uh, but we move. Um, Tranzo be at defensive midfield, obviously the talking point, because um, we said he could be, and you're like, why? Why would we do that? But coming in the game situation, it's very comfortable. He comes in at defensive midfield, and you don't see a great deal, Pat, but I think he meets what you projected as, look, mm-hmm. I don't think he starts the game, but there is that option that he's a defensive midfielder going forward. I think tomorrow against Barrow, we play, I'm sure he'll start centre-back in that game, mm-hmm. not defensive midfield, but you have that option. It was used in a Premier, a real game. It was used in real life. So, albeit the context was we were up and comfortable, but bringing him on in a pivotal position with minutes to go shows that Dean Smith kind of, Wants yeah. to see what can happen there, Pat. He's a player that, like, obviously you can say, oh, it was only for a minute against Newcastle, but this isn't the first time he's done it. I think in his professional career, he's played about 480 minutes there or something. And he played there for, so in maybe the second leg against Villarreal or something, not Villarreal, I can't remember who it was. Uh, Raul Sociedad, I think, for United. He played there for United and I've got United friends and they all expected him to start at centre-back, but he started at CDM and even scored from a corner, I think, but it was disallowed for a Lindelof foul, I think. But, um, yeah, he was assured. He doesn't look out of position there. He just like, slots in. I think after the game, he admitted uh, it's not a position. He, he's played there before, but he doesn't practice it. So I just feel like he has this natural ability on the ball, which I think Villa fans are well aware of. Like in the promotion season, we can all remember him like progressing the ball dissecting the midfield, just driving with it. He's clearly got the ability on the ball. I think he's played there in the Premier League as well. In uh, yeah. I think it was it was a few seasons ago, but it might have been the last game of the season for United against Palace. And he had something like made 60 passes with a 100% success rate and bossed the game with Paul Pogba in midfield. Well, obviously, having Pogba there helps you, but he's clearly got the ability to play there. And I think you, probably, you might see it tomorrow, but it'll probably be centre-half. But... 
he's not going to be progressing the ball forward or it, it might be like a bit of a Nakamba role that he plays. He's just an enforcer that can break the play up. But you can't expect him to be a world beater there, but he's very capable there for me. Yeah, uh, I, f- I feel like the decision to put him at defensive midfield, it's almost like John Ming's left back. And you think, yeah, championship loan, he's start at left back for us. Uh, give that competition to Neil Taylor, might, might win it. And he comes straight in at centre back. And yeah. I feel like that's very similar. It's almost kind of the same thing. Isn't it? Yeah. There's no, there isn't the kind of opportunity to join straight in defensive midfield because you have Nakamba and Louise who are performing there. You might have your double pivot of McGinn and whomever, Ramsey. It's a kind of almost yeah. a crowded midfield. But there is the opportunity there where he makes that career move change and he does it at Villa exactly like Ty Remings did. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. I think Dame Smith probably moved Esri Concer to centre-back as well because when he bought him from Charlton for Brentford, I'm pretty sure he was right back for Charlton, I think. Um, so Dame Smith clearly done that before. He's moving players around to how he sees fit. And if they've got the correct profile to play the role, I wouldn't. But I wouldn't bet against it. Before the podcast, I was probably thinking, oh, yeah, centre-back and right-back cover. But now it kind of sold me on maybe a CDM role as well. Um, he's definitely got the profile for it, Twanzebe. We know that. Um, and he could be a massive, could be a big player for us now um, if he is going to play that role. And even if he just comes off the bench and, you know, again, st- kind of steals us up as such. And, you know, when you go to different places away from home, I'm thinking like the top six teams, if you can start in that defensive midfield role, that's probably something that we need. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's an encouraging point, to be fair. Perfect, yeah. I, I think it, it, it's really all positive signs from that game. I think if you've got any final thoughts on, on Newcastle, now is the time. But I think room to improve, but a lot of positivity after a, quite a negative start. So, Pat, any final thoughts on Newcastle? Uh, I think Dean Smith said it perfectly, didn't he? He said it was an okay performance and it's just mm. something to build on. I mean, clean sheet, we didn't set any worlds alight with the performance, but there's a lot of players missing and moving forward, it's hopeful that you can grind out results like that. So, yeah. John, uh, how are yeah. you feeling then? Agreed with that. Better result than performance, but we can only it's something you can build off, isn't it? So, if, if, if we're building on a performance where we've won 2-0, I don't think we're in a bad place, are we? Yeah. No, no, I feel real positive. I feel really positive. Again, I felt fairly optimistic after Watford, knowing we could bounce back in a full Villa Park. And yeah, yeah, the performance sloppy, but you have to make, you can only play the game that's occurring in front of you and you take charge of a set piece, which is, you know, you arrest the game there and then with a, a throw in, which is, it's so unvilla, but maybe that is, that is Villa now, that we've yeah. come to expect. Just a quick final word, guys, because I know that we've been here over an hour now. Um, Barrow tomorrow. Uh, Barrow, very far away from Birmingham. It's actually the place, the name of the place in 30 Days of Night, the vampire film as well. So, hoping it doesn't end the same way as that does. And I, I hope all our, I hope all our team is leaving with all their blood in their body. I'm sure they absolutely will. But there's no plans. Oh, I've got to touch wood now. Something bad's going to happen tomorrow. But yeah, Barrow um, could be a tough game. It's that you know, it's a sold out capacity crowd for Barrow. Um, recently promoted. In the last few seasons, from a um, national league to the to the football league, looking to make a statement. They, I think they played really good football as well in the, the national league. I think some teams they make a name for themselves. I think their manager moved on to Bolton. I don't know where he is now. I don't really follow Bolton, but I, I did follow Barrow for yeah. a bit. Um, I haven't followed him in the last season though, so I hope that Villa rotate their team. I hope there's uh, there's probably no starters actually from the last match that play against Barrow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you might I think Ings might might be up for one, but I'm pretty sure the meets be given to Wesley. But I just wanted to know who you expect to start, um, John, in, in that game against Barrow. Who yeah. do you expect there um, to be Chuck Wemaker and that? 
Yeah, I would have thought it's going to be 11 changes. Maybe, to be fair, you might keep a couple. Maybe El Ghazi will start again or maybe Jacob Ramsey just to get a second game uh, in a row because I don't think, I don't personally, I wouldn't want to change the whole team because um, I think you need a bit of that, you know, considering how bad our preseason was in terms of being so, um, you know, disrupted. I, I don't think it would be a bad thing for Smith to pick um, a couple of players uh, for successive games. Even someone like Mike Cash and might do him good. Um, but I watched Barrow twice last season, believe it or not, and, Good, good team. I think they finished. They finished quite low um, in League Two, just about survive relegation. But that's quite good for them. Um, but they're they do you know they, they play their own game. Again, it's it's a League Two outfit. You have got to respect them. Um, and we're obviously going to a different sort of grounds to what we'd be used to. Um, so we can't really hedge our bets. We're just saying, oh yeah, comfortable win or whatever. But I'd like to think that we can get the job done um, with whatever team we put out. But I'd like to see Chukamaker. I think that's the one that I'm looking forward to seeing the most. Fair play. Pat, what, what do you expect? Because um, we know, you know, it's really hard to predict these games. They're, they're difficult games, especially when you're a take and it's a cup game. Anything can happen. We expect Villa will win. Could Might not be as comfortable as we hope. Mm-hmm. It could be a, a blowout. I wanted to know what you kind of expect from the team then, like John. I don't think you can treat it like a, just like a pre-season friendly minutes in the tank type game type thing. But I do want Matt Target to play. Yeah. I need, I need him to have 90 minutes. I'd like to see Wesley as well. As I said, I think four yeah. aerial duels in one minute and he won 50% of them against um, Newcastle. I thought he looked like he was a bit more dominant than he would previously seen him be. But yeah, I'd like him to start. Bailey, I wouldn't. I don't think he'll be risked with this hamstring thing he's got. For the and obviously get the youngsters in like Bidace and um, Chuck Maker. But yeah, I feel like 11 changes sets you up for a, a bit of embarrassment. So I wouldn't want to see 11 changes. I've seen enough of that in my Villa watching career with the likes of Bradford and <laughs> Luton or whatever it was. I don't so I think, just off the top of my head, then we'll, we'll go Wesley, Philogene, Badace. It's just we'll have the same formation as, as Newcastle. Mm-hmm. We have Wesley, Philogene, Badace, Al Ghazi. Don't even know what side. They'll have to be uncomfortable <laughs> playing on the wrong side if I'm wrong. Uh, Hurahan, Ramsey, Nakamba, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Uh, Target, Cash, Transbay, yeah, 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 and Jed Steer. I think yeah, that's yeah. what what it's going to be then. Oh, well, we'll see the lineup um, tomorrow in a few hours, twenty six hours or so. <laughs> yeah, from this podcast goes out, so I uh, look forward to that. And uh, up the villa, guys, thank you very much for coming yeah, on, yeah, uh, reviewing reviewing the the program at length, reviewing Newcastle at length, and throwing it forward to Barrow. So there, you you can see where to follow you. But for the the benefit of our podcast listeners, Pat, where can people find you and follow you? Uh, PGR Analytics on Twitter. Yeah, well, just a quick question before we finish. Who's your propaganda now that Grealish has gone? Oh, it's really difficult. I feel like I went for a John McGinn type uh, approach this weekend. Jacob Ramsey was in there as well. I'm just waiting for Emmy Buendia to uh, to stand up a bit and then uh, I feel like I'll be moving to a Buendia propaganda page. (laughs) Perfect. Then, John, where can people find yourself? Uh, At JohnTowney11 on Twitter. And, yeah, that's where I'm basically posting all my articles. Wicked. Well, uh, thank you very much for both for coming on up the villa, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll look forward to Barrow and uh, hopefully an- another three points against uh, Brentford and p- progression in a cup, of course, tomorrow. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to. Thank you very much for coming on again. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, up the villa. Cheers. Up the villa. See ya. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Up the villa.